It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Stephanie Pugliese, president of the Americas for Under Armour. Stephanie has been president of the Americas for Under Armour since June of 2020, and prior to that, she served as president of North America starting back in 2019. Prior to joining Under Armour, Stephanie served as chief executive officer and president of Duluth Trading Company from 2015 to 2019, where she also held roles as chief operating officer, senior vice president, chief merchandising officer, and as vice president of product for over a decade. Early in her career, Stephanie also served in various leadership roles with Land's End and at Ann Taylor. She achieved her bachelor's degree in business from New York University's Stern School of Business and loves New York City. Stephanie Pugliese, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much, Brent. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. I know we spoke a couple of months ago, and I know you've been back on the road. I think gladly so, right? We're absolutely moving into year two in the pandemic, and oh my goodness, uh, you know, people are getting vaccinated, and then things are starting to open up a little bit. But let's just kind of start off with you. How are you? How is your family? And how have your colleagues been at at Under Armour through this, uh, you know, somewhat challenging and difficult time? Well, first of all, thank you so much for making that my first question because I think it's it's something that's been um, obviously one of the biggest things we've all been going mm. through for the past little over a year now. <laughs> right. um, I would start with uh, the the team at Under Armour. I am just incredibly proud of how everyone has been handling mm. the challenges from a work perspective. Obviously, um, everybody has their own personal challenges through this, yeah. and yeah. they've just done extraordinary work. So I have to yeah. give them um, an absolute big high five for awesome. all the things that they've been able to accomplish. Um, on the family side, I've been very, very lucky in that um, our family has been healthy. Mm. Um, we've come through this past year or so, um, I'll, I'll say relatively unscathed right. in that um, most importantly, we all have our health, as I said. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, I have three children who have had um, kind of different forms of of challenges in this past year. Sure. And, um, you know, we're all just kind of learning our way through it. I, I've yeah, been grateful yeah. that we've had some additional family time, particularly mm. last year in the beginning of kind of the shutdown and that for the most part, um, my kids, my husband and myself have been able to um, live, you know, as normally as the new normal is overall. Yeah. And and where is home now? Are you um, 
at the headquarters there at Under Armour? Have you been in Wisconsin for the most part? Where, where have you spent, I guess, the last year really is uh, my question. Yeah, I've spent most of the last year in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, it's yeah. where I was um, when I joined Under Armour a year and a half ago or so. Right, right. I had planned to stay there and um, allow my son to finish his school year right, when it. I first joined Under Armour. And then COVID happened and, yeah. you know, things continued to change. <laughs> um but yeah, so I, I've been based out of Madison for the most part, done a little bit yeah. of travel back and forth to Baltimore and certainly out to our stores as much as I've been able to. Right. That's awesome. Terrific. Well, let's start with uh, your early life and tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, and you know, what was that early life like? Your parents, siblings, uh, where did you grow up and what were some of the activities you were involved with early on? Sure. Um, so I I would characterize my childhood is really very normal. <laughs> and, um, it was, uh, my, I have a younger sister. So mm -hmm. one sibling, she's three years younger than I am. And, um, my mom and dad were very present, um, great parents. My dad, yes. um, owned his own small painting company, uh, oh. for most of my childhood. Right. And my mom worked in a bakery. She worked in a law firm at one point and she worked in, um, a flower shop for it at one point as well. So I think she, uh, her experience has kind of rubbed off on me in, in terms of my love of cooking, right, my love good. of gardening, you know, so I, I definitely had some great, um, input from her, from, uh, what she did for work and, um, you know, what she did outside of the home. But, um, you know, I would say that my parents, one of the greatest gifts that my parents gave me in that very kind of traditional, if you will, childhood in the 70s and 80s was mm. the um, the belief that I had just great things ahead of me. Mm. Yes. Um, and they valued, they valued my opinion, even from a really yeah. young age, um, and listened to me. And so for me, while um, I might not have had all of the, let's call it worldly experiences, if you will, that some people have today, um, I had an incredible amount of support and worldly vision from right. my, my family. Yeah. Um, and so I think that has been probably if I, if I think about my, um, you know, my childhood and how my parents raised both my sister and myself, the greatest gift they gave us, um, was that, that confidence mm. and that, um, open eyes and really just absolute curiosity about learning new things and experiencing new things. So important. What part of the country did you grow up in? Uh, I grew up partly in central Pennsylvania in the okay. Harrisburg area. That's where I was right. born and lived until uh, about junior high uh, yeah. level. And then um, we moved to the suburbs of New York City, uh, an area called uh, Nyack in Rockland County. Oh, yeah. That's sure. where I went to oh, high school. Yeah. Were you a good student? Yeah, I was absolutely <laughs> <laughs> high achiever. I, I, take it, right? I was a good student and I was like, darn it, I will be a good student. You know, um, so I was definitely it was part of, of that creative uh, structure that your parents gave you. Right. Because if you can be anything, you've really got to do a lot to get there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. You know, they yeah. they in addition to giving me that freedom, they set the bar high. Right. right sure. And, um, yeah, so I was definitely one of those kids that was raising their hands really high <laughs> from the front row. Um, cause I just wanted to answer the question. Um, and, and I, I, I actually really loved school. 
Um, and, and I loved learning and I loved reading and I loved exploring. Um, so, you know, I think more so perhaps than any natural, um, brain cell ability, I think it was just that, that curiosity and that drive to always learn that made me a really good student. Now you're obviously now president of a very successful company under armor. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but being in the sports, you know, uh, equipment, sports apparel, as well as other accessories was sports big to you growing up or, or not so much. No, it was, it was really important to me, but I yeah. think, um, for a different reason than perhaps, uh, some of the, the athletes that I mm. get to work with and, um, and communicate with each day at Under Armour. Yeah. And what yeah. I mean by that is, um, you know, I, I have the just absolute honor of meeting and talking and working with athletes that have achieved just incredible things in yeah. my role today. Um, I was not one of those incredible athletes. Um, but for me, what sports did was it gave me an opportunity to be part of a team yeah. and to um, think about how and 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 really work on working together and achieving something kind of greater than individuals can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you think about the schoolwork, that's very individual. You know, obviously there are group projects and things like that, but that's a very, very much an individual sport, if you will. Right. Um, but team sports really brought... Uh, a different aspect to my experience in school and mm. as a high schooler. Um, so I can't say that I was, you know, going to win any national championships personally, <laughs> but I absolutely valued the participation and what sports gave me. And it also gave me a lifelong love of being fit, being active, um, and just feeling really strong uh, physically. Were you involved in the uh, entrepreneurial things as you were growing up? Yeah, I, um, I still remember, um, when I was, gosh, I was probably fifth grade. Um, and I remember there was a company that would send you, um, greeting cards and mm. you could go door to door and right. sell greeding cards. Yeah. Um, I think I did know. that as well. Okay. <laughs> I remember that yeah. well. I'm yeah. totally dating myself. I, I completely <laughs> admit that. Um, but I remember doing really well. And I think I earned huh. like 35 whole dollars in commission and I was richer <laughs> than rich, you know, in, in fifth grade. Um, but I did that. I had a paper route for yeah. several years. Um, you know, uh, my cool. parents, I mentioned, um, you know, what they did, but at one point, in my, um, when I was in high school, my parents opened up a deli in the town oh. that, um, I went to high school. And so right. I worked in the deli in the mornings before school, after school. And I learned, you know, um, I, I learned the spirit of entrepreneurship and mm. quite frankly, the, the challenges, right. And all the sure. hard work it takes, um, to build even a, a small business yeah. and you get a, a, just a really great appreciation for not only the physical work, but just the mental fortitude you have right. to have when, when you own your own business and, and yeah. your family is counting on you in that very direct way. You did, did you do part-time jobs in high school and college as well? Did part-time jobs, um, you know, in high school, I mentioned the deli. I also, yeah. my uncle had his own cleaning business, so I would help him on weekends clean offices. Um, in college, I actually, uh, I waitressed a lot, very, um, I think pretty uh, common 
thing that right. that college sure. students do. And I worked for The Gap in their store yeah. in uh, Lower Manhattan. I went to NYU's ah. business school. So yeah. that's where I kind of got a little bit of the retail bug. Um, right. But I, you know, I honestly, I can't remember a time from, you know, age probably 14 on where I wasn't working yeah. even part-time yeah. pretty steadily. Yeah. So you went to NYU. I, I think you were living, you said, in Nyack in the New York area. Was that kind of a predetermined, you know, conclusion that you'd go to NYU? Was that your, your school of choice or did you take a look around at some others? How, how did you kind of make that decision as to where to go? It was my predetermined decision, yeah. school of choice. Um, so Nyack is about a 30 minute on a good day drive right. into Manhattan, two hours right. on a bad day, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we would, my my family and I, as I was in high school, would um, spend time in New York and um, just, you know, kind of walking around the city and right. enjoying different things. And so I fell in love with New York yeah. uh, really quickly. Yeah. And um, I actually had a pretty unusual path to NYU in that um, I had had an experience as a junior in high school um, with just some uh, introductions to different colleges, you know, as juniors are looking around. And something came across uh, just my my knowledge that certain schools at that time did what was called an early admission program, right. where um, they would accept students coming out of their junior year instead of going all the way through the senior year of, mm. of high school yeah. and allow them to, in essence, combine their senior year of high school with their freshman year of college. Um, so mm. I actually reached out to NYU and asked if they were doing that program yeah. and they wow. were. Um, wow. so I applied as a, um, junior in as high junior. school to NYU. Yeah. I was accepted, wow. um, to that program. And so I actually moved on campus um, a month yeah. before, before I turned 17. So I was 16 wow. and Wow. <laughs> 16 and 11 months living in downtown New York in 1987. You wow. Know, so, Fantastic. So I, yeah. That's another one though. I have to say as an example of my parents and how hmm. incredibly supportive and open-minded they were. Um, there are not a lot of families that would, uh, no. would take that chance for their kid, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and my parents did. And it was, it was just extraordinary, really yeah. amazing awesome. blessing in my life. Now, I think you joined Ann Taylor, right, right out of school and, and spent about a decade there. How did, did you kind of go through that selection process of getting into merchandising and deciding that's where you wanted to be? Well, you know, I, um, in my last semester, it could have even been my last year of NYU, I had um, part of, I was a marketing major. So right. part of my marketing classes or options were retail marketing mm. um, and consumer insights. Um, it was that's what we call it today. I can't remember what the the class right. exactly was called um, back then, but um, it was it was very interesting to me um, to be able to think about um, the science of marketing mm. and how you run a business with combining it with um, you know, something I I loved, which was fashion. You know, right, and right. and as my mom would probably say, really, it was a love of buying clothes. You know, um, and I would say they were, <laughs> we had to spend both, that money on something, right? They're Stephen? both true. Yeah, exactly. All of that part-time work I was doing, yeah, I got exactly. to buy a few things. Um, but so so I had the opportunity to 
um, think about kind of blending something that I, I really liked right. with a job opportunity. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, when the op- opportunity that came up to work in an industry that I was interested in, mm. um, you know, exercise my, uh, marketing degree, if you will, and get a, you know, 30% plus discount on clothes. <laughs> not necessarily in that order. <laughs> yeah, no, not necessarily. My 21 year old brain at the time oh was like, gosh. this is yeah. a big this score. This is it. Yeah. Oh, and, and Taylor was in her prime then, right? I mean, and that Taylor's was amazing. Just, yeah. 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 Terrific um, company. That's so and, absolute and, prime. You know, t- tell us a little bit about coming in. I mean, it was the mid nineties, right? When you got out of school or early, early mid nineties, was it difficult for, for women at that time to advance even in a women owned and branded company? You know, I have been, I think very fortunate all along in my career where, mm. Um, I have been given opportunities that I know are not necessarily readily available to women at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that, if I think back to Ann Taylor in that, you know, kind of 1992, 1993 yeah. timeframe, yeah. it was a business that quite frankly, you know, I, I don't know the exact percent, but if memory serves, it's, it was 90, 95% plus women. Yeah, in the offices yeah, there, yeah. She, certainly she in our stores. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it was a very um, supportive right. environment for right. women. In fact, in a lot of ways, I don't even think we thought about it, you know, right. in, in right. that it was about, um, you know, there was a lot of gender equality because quite frankly, we were relatively <laughs> unequal dominant in terms gender. of our proportion. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, right. And so, so, so much of it was really based on the work that you were doing, yeah. the performance, yeah. the results that you were achieving. Right. Um, and there right. wasn't a whole lot of talk about, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of obligation to be for equality. Um, yeah. Now, not that it wasn't going on around us. You know, I, I don't want to say that in any naive way, but I didn't really experience it at that time. Right. Right. Do you remember the first time you started managing people, Stephanie? Yes. I was promoted to uh, a merchandiser, a buyer at Ann Taylor, and um, absolutely incredibly excited. Felt that I had, you know, won the lottery. I had finally achieved all my goals. I think I was 23, you know, and and I was on top of the world. And then I suddenly, you know, I kind of looked around um, my cubicle and there were two young women looking at me saying, right. okay, well, what do you want us to do? Wow. And, yeah. and I was like, what do you mean? You know? <laughs> um, so I, I actually remember going to my boss at the time and saying, I need a management training class, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and she was like, you know, here's the management training class, go out and Use your assistance, you know, yeah. um, go, go and, figure it out. And, and were they about the same age? And mentored. Yeah. yeah. They're about the same age about as you were. About the same they? age. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and in fact, I would say that, um, a good portion of my career has been managing and leading teams that are about my same age, if Your not level. older yeah. in some cases. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I think the biggest, the biggest challenge and, and the first time that anyone gets that position where they're suddenly um, responsible, not only for their own individual work, but for the work of others is jarring. Right. right. Um, And it is probably one of the biggest transitions 
that you make in your career. And, you know, if you're successful, it often happens very early in your career when you may not be um, experience ready for it. You may not be age ready for it fully. Um, You know, and certainly you may not even have all of the skill sets yourself in your role um, to to be able to translate that to a team that's looking up to you. So it was a very interesting time, um, very important time. I think that, um, you know, the communication that I tried to establish, I'm sure I didn't do it extremely well at that point in my career, um, and the teamwork uh, mentality that I tried to establish with those two assistants Mm. early, early on, has kind of helped me build on that um, from that point forward. And I hope I'm a little better at it today <laughs> than I was uh, that many years ago. But any um, other, yeah, any other leadership lessons from those early years that you can recall? I think the biggest thing, and and I would say that I didn't do this well at that point, but I learned it from others, was um, humility in leadership. Mm. And um, I think that is one of the challenges as you either get that first team or get bigger teams or get teams that have functional areas that you don't know anything about is that um, I think we often have this feeling that to be a great leader, you have to project that, you know, exactly Mm. what's going to happen next and what's Mm. and where you need to go. And, And I think actually projecting the humility to listen and learn um, and then provide confident direction right. to the right. team is is probably one of the most important things yeah. that I continue to learn even to this day. It's hard to learn that early, yes. <laughs> right? Particularly when you're an overachiever and, you know, just trying to be the best and getting everything done. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, mentoring, of course, is something that uh, there's a lot of books written about it and, you know, what's important. Did, did, did you find that as well? And, and let's, you know, maybe take your, you know, beyond. I know you went to Land's End, spent another decade at Duluth Trading, probably more men-centric organizations or maybe even better balanced. Uh, were, there, were there older mentors, men or women, that helped you along the way? And, and if so, what were some of the lessons that you picked up in that regard? Absolutely. You know, I I have been very fortunate to have mentors both formally and mm. quite frankly, um, you know, people that I I just kind of spied on and copied, you know, throughout my <laughs> career. Sure. Um, because I admired either the way that they presented in a large group or the way that they created a process that helped um, you know, ensure better execution. Right. Um, but I think that the the Lessons that I've learned kind of in aggregate from the more formal mentors that I've had are that um, you bring something to the table, but you don't bring everything to the table. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, our job is to, um, and I give this credit actually to uh, my executive coach who I'm very close with, and we've worked together for a number of years now. Um, she always uses the term, it's my job to give oxygen to the team Mm, and to provide that air for them to be able to breathe more deeply, um, you know, and, and go off and be great. Um, and, and I think that that is a huge lesson. Mm. Um, I think the other lesson that I've learned is my greatest mentors were also really great people. Yeah. 
Um, And I think that there is still, although I think it's getting a lot better, particularly lately, I think there's still this misconception that to be a great leader, you have to be mean or, you know, or or dominant, dominant. not humble. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. And, and I actually think my greatest mentors have shown me that the exact opposite Mm, is true. Yeah. Yeah, um, so and you true. have to be empathetic and you have to be humble and you yeah. have to be a good person because at the end of the day, people will work for a jerk, but not for long. <laughs> right. 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 Um, exactly. And, and that's, that's a huge lesson that I've learned for, with the mentors that I've truly admired. Right. Right. Now you achieved your CEO position and, and president at Duluth Trading. You're obviously uh, were in that role before being recruited over to, to Under Armour. Tell us a little bit about that transition, because, uh, you know, you'd been there for maybe almost close to a dozen years. Perhaps you felt that that was, you know, where you're going to stay for some time. And yet, you know, the Under Armour opportunity came along. Uh, was that a difficult transition for you? And if so, tell us a little bit about how you went through that decision making to, to join, you know, the great company you're with now. Yeah, you know, I I would characterize it as the easiest and most difficult decision I've ever made. <laughs> two, two sides of that coin, right? Yeah, yeah, simple, very easy. Um, easiest because I have been a longtime admirer of the Under Armour brand, and there is a visceral hmm. um, joy, Connection. you know, when yeah. you think yeah. about... Um, what this brand stands for and Mm. the, the athletes that we serve and how we are striving every single day to make people better, you know? And, and when I think, you know, I, I I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that I was never the greatest athlete, but that my participation in sports was one of the most important things to me. Um, that is, that was the kind of gut, uh, reaction and, and pull towards Under Armour. And when you combine that with a um, really unbelievably um, big opportunity as a professional Mm. to join a brand that is internationally recognized and obviously um, internationally based, if you will, um, it it has the combination of both direct-to-consumer and Mm. wholesale Um, so you've got partnerships that reach differently and in some ways wider than what I've, I had experienced before. And, um, you know, obviously the, the volume is, is significant and the amount of teammates that we have that I hopefully can influence and do good for, um, was just an incredible opportunity now. So that's the easy part, right? In the the choice, um, (laughs) The most difficult part is that the team that, um, you know, obviously I needed to then leave right, um, course, from Duluth yeah. is part of my family. And, yeah, you've been there a long um, time. Yeah. and when I speak of mentors that I've had, mm. um, Steve Schlecht, who uh, is the founder and um, current executive chairman of Duluth, is, is absolutely counted. Right. among the top of those mentors. And yeah, so yeah. I, I, I owe a lot of my learnings and a lot of, um, you know, what I have been able to accomplish over, um, that part of my career to the partnership that I had with Steve. Right. 
Um, and I'm, you know what, I'm just super darn proud of, um, what I was able to participate in and lead in that business. Um, the growth, the ability to take that company, um, public in 2015, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity for many people. Um, and so that, that was just an extraordinary, um, big part of my life and my career. And I will be eternally grateful for that experience. Yeah. Really hard one to leave, I can imagine. Tell us a little bit about your organization today. Uh, now, was this a new position when you came over to Under Armour, or had that existed previously? Uh, the position of president of North America had existed previously. Um, hmm. The decision, as um, as you mentioned in in kind of the introduction, um, ab- about six months or so after I joined, seven months or so, um, we did make the decision to con- consolidate North America and, and expand it to include Latin America. Right. Um, creating, yeah. I guess you could say the new region of the Americas. So new that role. position is yeah. new. Um, right. Right. but overall it's a very similar position to what existed yeah. before. Yeah. How many people in that organization and kind of what's your relative size? So, um, we rep the, the North America team represents about 70% wow. of the entire, entire global business. team. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, we we include teammates that are obviously, um, you know, based and uh, with COVID, people are a little bit in different places. But based out of our Baltimore offices, we have teams in Panama, in right. Canada, in Mexico, and then of course, obviously within our stores um, throughout the the entire region. Yeah. Now, is the founder still involved in the business day to day? I think he kind of took a step back a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, so, so Kevin Plank, um, yeah. he stepped back from the CEO role uh, right. last January in okay. 2020. And Patrick yeah. Frisk, who um, was the president when he joined in 2017, became the CEO with with Kevin's transition. But Kevin yeah. is still um, chairman of the board. Um, so he still obviously so plays a role in the business. Um, and you know, the, the legacy and the culture that, um, that he built through serving athletes, um, still remains yeah. a, a, you know, strong, bright spot for us today. He's a very impressive speaker. I think I mentioned to you when we spoke a couple of months ago, as we prepared for the podcast, I heard him back in 2013, I think it was, it was a middle market conference that GE Capital had uh, sponsored and he was one of the guest speakers. So I was one of thousands, of course, in the audience, but he impressed me of someone who really understood that company culture and where it was going. How, how difficult is it, or, or maybe how easy is it to kind of continue on that legacy? I mean, I know that Kevin's still involved, not so much in the day-to-day, but, you know, tell us a little bit about how you do that in drama. Yeah. I, you know, I think that the the biggest thing is when you think about the heart and soul of Under Armour, mm. um, 25 years ago, it was to be of service to athletes, yeah. um, to innovate, to create products that empowered those athletes to right. do better every single day. And that is certainly a product vision, you know, yeah. at its, I guess you could call it most basic, but most importantly, it is a uh, a purpose that we have as an organization. And so so that thread of 
why we came into existence is still the central mm. point of why we exist today. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, the business has gotten uh, exponentially, and that's an understatement, bigger from right. when Kevin started, um, you know, in his grandma's basement mm-hmm. uh, more than two decades ago. And we've expanded internationally and we have thousands of teammates. Um, so so the business has evolved really significantly and we've evolved how we do business in Mm. many ways to respond to the business climate to respond to the needs of our athletes Um, but at the end of the day that core central principle still holds very Mm. true and you know we still when you think about our company culture you probably have noticed i talk about um you know our what would be called employees in other places are our teammates, Um, our consumers, our athletes. Um, And, you know, our athletes range from people who are um, out there for a fast, brisk walk, (laughs) out there for a fast, brisk walk, training for a a first 5k or training for an Ironman, you know? Um, And so that, that culture of serving People who want to do more is is just incredibly important to us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds like a very, very strong cultural. And and what a unique fit in the marketplace, too, because I don't think anybody has really owned that better than Under Armour has over the last 25 years. And, uh, you know, just so so well known for that. You know, you're obviously hiring people and, and bringing new folks on. Stephanie, what do you look for when you're making bets on those people you invest in? Uh, that's a really good question. You know, I think um, I'm in somewhat of a privileged uh, position now in that by the time that I am involved in an interview process, mm-hmm. the majority of the time skill set has been vetted. Yes. Right. We know that the person can tactically do the job. Um, so what my role in looking for people is truly about a a fit in the organization. And you'll often hear the term cultural fit. Mm. I think that's somewhat appropriate. And, you know, I, I, the spirit of it is, is correct. But really what I'm looking for is somebody that is going to thrive in Mm. our organization and thriving oftentimes means that they have, uh, uh, an appreciation for what we're doing. You know, a lot of times at Under Armour, for example, um, we will talk to people who uh, were former athletes at right. you know fairly high levels. Um, and so that type of thing is important. But for me, what's more important is that a person brings a curiosity mm. to the table, that yeah. they bring a humility um, and a willingness willingness to learn and an a, an ability to, um, bring a different opinion um, and to be open-minded to new possibilities yeah. um, and that they are bringing their whole self um, to to the conversation. So I, I love when I am talking to somebody who's had a very different background mm. than I have had yeah. or than some of our other leaders or teammates have had, because I know that person's going to come at a problem most likely from a different angle, you know, and give us some additional visibility to new solutions. So do you kind of do case study questions? You know, what's kind of your interview style? How do you get at that? Because it's hard, right? It's It's very hard hard to be able to determine that, particularly Um, in a 20 minute interview or 30 minute interview. 
I think if I, if I had to boil it all down to a couple of key questions Hmm. on the, um, on the experience side, or how do you kind of approach things? I will ask questions like, tell me the, the worst day you had in mm. your job where you were the most disappointed. Mm. What happened and what did you do about it? Um, and so that kind of gives me insights into where they disappointed yeah. because they didn't want to hear no, were they disappointed because they didn't meet their own expectations? Were they disappointed because of whatever? Um, and more importantly, how did they get up after yeah, they yeah. got knocked down? Right, um, right. The other things that I ask that I, I sometimes, you know, even through Zoom meetings now, will get kind of the one eyebrow up <laughs> look is right, right. I will oftentimes start with, what do you do when you're not working? Hmm. Um, because I want to know if somebody yeah. is just only working right, or right. if they have a broader, more open view of the world yeah, that yeah. they bring to the equation. Um, right. and the third thing I ask people is what are you reading right now? Mm. Mm. Um, and that always gives me some good insight, Insights. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and I actually, I, I actually am not looking necessarily for the well, I'm reading good to great, or I'm right, reading, right. you know, how to make friends and influence people, or, <laughs> you know, like I, I'm at, I'm actually just looking for, I'm reading first of yeah, all, because I'm one. curious. <laughs> um, and, and just kind of where they get their passion from, right, you know, right. um, learn about and, the genre they like to enjoy yeah, from a literary yeah. standpoint. And yeah. I mean, I've yeah. had some, I've had some really awesome interview conversations around Stephen King, Right. Um, sure. You know, and and just a, a shared appreciation for an author that I think is truly brilliant. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, that that's I, I try to just get into how do you think, I guess. What are you the, reading right now, Stephanie? Um, so I do two things. I tend to read uh, books for pleasure and right. I am old school, like paper yeah, yeah. Um, gotta have the hard carry back. it with me, yeah, want right. to touch it, want to smell yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and, and in that um, area, I actually just started. And when I say just started, I'm on like page 10, a book called New York by mm. Edward Rutherford um, mm. that I discovered. And it is a um, I think it's, it covers like 300 years of New York. And it is, oh, gosh, probably, I don't know. 800 pages, 900 pages, but right. New York is just, um, will always be in my heart and soul. So yeah, I'm yeah. super interested in kind of seeing it's a historical novel. Um, but it'll be fun How to see kind out. of the, right. the yeah, different yeah. ages of New York. Um, and then the second thing that I do is when I am, uh, interested or, or looking for a, I guess you would call it more business book or even more kind of self-awareness book. I tend to listen to those books on Audible um, because for some reason I absorb that kind of information um, better when I'm out on a run or a walk. Um, And that book that I'm listening to right now is called The Confidence Code Hmm. um, by Claire Shipman, um, which is a fantastic insight into the importance of confidence and Mm. largely number one how we can help to build confidence um in ourselves and and if 
if we're parents in our children, but it's also got a, a great kind of perspective on women um, mm. and confidence and kind of how that is an opportunity for us and how it also um, can set very talented, capable women back if they don't own their own, um, their own selves, you know, yeah. and their, their own abilities. Yeah. Cool. Great, Great book. Well, Stephanie, we're almost out of time, but we always ask one last question of all our featured guests. And, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office, uh, maybe has been in corporate jobs like you growing into, you know, larger organizations. And, you know, what's uh, what, what's kind of the secret sauce to your success? I would say that while it is absolutely about being good at your job mm. and making the um, connections, both in terms of um, your your mentors and the people that you work with and admire, right. um, as well as skill sets that you're building, I would say do not ignore the life skill sets that mm. you also need to build. build. Yeah. Don't ignore empathy. Don't ignore mm. um, seeing the world. Don't ignore um, connecting with people that have absolutely nothing to do with your career, but <laughs> right. offer your soul, you know, kind of a bigger mm. place. Mm. Um, and cause I think at the end of the day, um, it kind of goes back to the very beginning when you asked me about, was I good at school? You know, yes, I was good at school, but that's not, that was not the only thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. and had I been only good at school, I don't, maybe I would have been still in this position from a career perspective, but my right. life certainly wouldn't have been as rich. Fantastic. Stephanie Pugliese, president of the Americas at Under Armour, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.